Welcome to The Bull and the Bear, a money and markets podcast. We give you the advice you need to know to make investing safe and profitable. With The Bull and the Bear podcast, you'll get exclusive access to some of the top thinkers, analysts, advisors, and gurus in the investment business. And now for your hosts, Matt Clark and Charles Sizemore. Hello, everyone, and uh, welcome to this latest episode of the Bull and the Bear podcast. I'm Money and Markets Research Analyst Matt Clark and uh, host of the Bull and the Bear. Glad you're with us uh, uh, this time around. We took a bit of a break. Uh, Charles and I had a podcast earlier this week, and it was the first one we've done in a week. I had an unfortunate uh, uh, death in the family, but we're back, and uh, we're, ba- we're back to full schedule and, and, and full on, and, and, uh, so, and it's a good time for it. Uh, I want to jump right into today's podcast before I uh, you know, start talking about how you can listen to us and all that. By now, you, most of you probably know, but just in the event, I'll, I'll run through that down at the end. But um, you know, I, I remember a time when I was younger. This was probably in the 80s, which I know to some was like, really? That's younger? But uh, you know, the economy was doing well. Uh, there were jobs everywhere. I lived in, in, in Wichita, Kansas at the time and Boeing was a, a massive employer and, uh, they, they had more jobs and they had people who could fill for the aer- aerospace industry. Um, you know, the economy was moving in a great direction. You know, we all had a lot of confidence about the future. And, and in fact, if you, if you remember over the last 11 years, up until just recently, we've had the longest bull market run in stock market history. Times were times were great. I mean, we were we were spending money. We were buying cars. We were buying televisions. We were buying new computers that were coming out. We were uh, new phones every year. Uh, all those things. All uh, you know, we had cash in our pockets, and it was burning a hole in it. And we just couldn't wait for the next thing to come out to to spend our money on. But things have changed uh, most recently, and and the coronavirus is a big is a big player in that. And businesses have kind of have, have, have either trimmed back or closed altogether. Unemployment is still high. I know that we had some good news this week in terms of jobless claims. They're still, they were about 860,000, which was better, but still unemployment still remains very high, especially when you consider we were under 4% uh, at the first of the year. Um, but what it all means is that when, when you have an economy that's in question, uh, you know, you have a job market that is equally in question, if not more so. Uh, as consumers, when we talk about where we're going to spend our money, uh, we really, at least you should be, drilling down to the essentials. And that is paying your mortgage, paying your rent, paying, you know, paying your bills, paying whatever those essential things are. And then your next tier is, what do I need at the grocery store? And it's going to come down to, what do you absolutely need? You need food, you need, uh, you know, various sundries like toilet paper, paper towels, you know, water, yada, yada, yada. And, and, and the very last thing, if there's anything left, if you feel comfortable, is, is what you would call discretionary items. And this could be electronics, this could be a car, it could be vacation, it could be whatever. And, and, and the amount of money we're spending on those is becoming less and less and less because of there's just a lot of uncertainty out there. And, you know, one sector that tracks, uh, you know, that particular area, you know, dropped about 34% uh, thanks to the coronavirus crash in March. But things are starting to turn around a bit. If you look at the S&P 500 Consumer Discretionary Sector ETF, it trades under XLY. It's an exchange-traded fund that tracks uh, some of the biggest consumer discretionary stocks. And this ranges from, uh, you know, uh, hotels to, uh, to d- retail stores to, it's, it's a very large uh, swath of what it covers. It's actually jumped about 70% since reaching its low back in March. Um, it topped out at about $153 a share the 1st of September. It's, it's had a slight pullback. Uh, but the, this particular ETF of XLY holds companies like Amazon, Home Depot, 
TJX Companies, which was probably one of Charles's favorites as the parent company of uh, discount chain TJ Maxx. If you remember what he said about Ross, very similar thing there. So, um, so I want to talk about and kind of zero in on consumer discretionary uh, uh, companies today. And we picked out three, and these are all three that you have, have undoubtedly heard of, dealt with, shopped at, utilized services for. Uh, there's no question in my mind that that. 99% of the audience who's listening to this knows exactly what these stocks are. So uh, these are big stocks and they're big companies. And, and I want to talk to uh, Money Markets contributor Charles Sizemore and Chief Investment Strategist Adam O'Dell and kind of get their take on it. I'll give you mine as well. But let's jump right in. The first company uh, you know, I want to talk about, it operates an online marketplace that matches buyers and sellers around the world. Um, it also utilizes mobile apps to facilitate that matching. Um, outside of the United States, interestingly enough, this is something that probably isn't necessarily as well known about this company. It actually operates several online classified marketplaces uh, where people can post and look for things like jobs, rentals, goods and services, things like that. And they, do, they don't do it here in the US, but they do it in other countries, Germany, uh, I believe the Netherlands uh, and Scandinavia, they do it there. Uh, and it's very, it's widely popular. Now, in terms of its stock, since reaching a low of about $26 a share in March, the stock has jumped 100%, exactly 100%. And that's not even at its highest point because it's pulled back over the last couple of weeks. Uh, the last couple, uh, last couple of weeks, rather. Uh, the company I'm talking about is eBay Incorporated. It trades on the NASDAQ under EBAY. Uh, and, and this is a, a very large company. It has been around for about, I want to say 20 years. I could be wrong. Um, and, and it's really developed its niche in terms of an online marketplace. So first I'm going to talk to, uh, I want to bring in Charles Sizemore and get his take. And, and, and first off, Charles, welcome back to the Bull and the Bear. And, uh, Give me your thoughts on, on, on eBay. This is, this is a pretty popular website, and it's one that's been used for years now, and, and people have even found a way to create um, storefronts, literal brick-and-mortar storefronts for eBay shipping and receiving, which is kind of an interesting offshoot. Uh, but give me, give me your take on eBay. Yeah, sure. Another uh, aspect of eBay that's underappreciated is uh, they're the owner of, uh, of Venmo. And, you know, Venmo, the popular um, money-sharing app. I, I, it's, I mean, I, I know people that actually run businesses on Venmo. Um, I wouldn't do that, but people do. Um, at any rate, uh, eBay has had a, a fantastic run this year. They really have, along with the rest of, of, of the tech sector. So even though eBay is getting lumped in with, with these you know, consumer-oriented stocks, it's also a tech stock at the end of the day. And by virtue of being a tech stock, by virtue of being a NASDAQ stock, it's, it's really participated in what's one of the most epic runs in, in, in tech stocks in history. Um, I would say, um, I, I think you're late to the party on this one at this point. Um, I would probably pass on it for now. It's been uh, sort of consolidating now for you know, several weeks. It's not to say that it couldn't hit a short-term bottom and go you know, to the moon from here starting tomorrow. But um, I, I feel like this one has sort of made its move. And I don't know what catalyst coming down the pipeline is going to cause it to go significantly higher from here. To me, this looks like one that you know might perform in line with the market. I, I don't see it outperforming in the near future. You know, I mean, it's it's pulled back. Do you think it could retouch those highs that it had a couple of weeks ago? Ah, sure. I mean, it, it's if the market it, if the market as a whole just goes higher from here, the market finds its bottom and and pushes higher um, for the last quarter of this year, then sure. I mean, eBay will probably participate in that. I think if the market goes generally higher, then eBay will participate in that. I just don't see what that catalyst will be for it to outperform at this point. You know, it, it's had a fantastic run this year. If you were in eBay earlier this year, you know, props to you. You, you, really, you really picked a winner. 
Um, I just don't see, you know, I don't see the impetus for it to do significantly better than its peers going forward. Okay. Um, Money market chief investment strategist, Adam O'Dell. Uh, you know, I know uh, you, you and I are ones, we look at the numbers and we, we look at the technical side of things and, 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 and technically uh, in terms of ratios and, and return on something like that eBay still looks very, very attractive. Um, but what, uh, do, you, do you agree with Charles's sentiment in terms of maybe that it's kind of past its prime? Uh, yes and no. On a short-term basis, um, you know, when, when I make a short-term decision on a stock, whether it's a good time now to get in or whether you should wait, you know, a few to several months, um, I often look at my Cycle 9 Alert algorithm and, and signals. And what I actually saw on eBay, uh, in full disclosure, I didn't recommend this trade, so this isn't a trade that my readers were in necessarily. But um, Cycle 9 did give a, a buy signal on eBay uh, right at the end of April. So, you know, once that recovery was already underway. Um, some stocks were just regaining, you know, 30, 40, 50% of what they had lost uh, in, the, in the February, March sell-off. Uh, but eBay, by that point, was already pretty much just under its uh, February highs at that point in late April when, when it gave me a cycle nine signal. So those signals are usually uh, most uh, effective over a three-month period. So that was late April through late July. Uh, over that time, the stock went from about $38 to $58. And uh, it was just, you know, basically got out right after the, the most recent high at $60. So um, that was really the best run in eBay. Uh, since then, the stock has pulled back. It's made a couple of lower lows and lower highs. So it's kind of in a pullback flag pattern. Um, it's still trading above its 200-day moving average. So the way I see it is it could fall a bit further before it hits that 200-day moving average and finds some uh, support. So um, I would be holding off on buying eBay right now. Um, part of that reason is more of the, the macroeconomic and the, the broad market picture as well. As, as Charles pointed out, I mean, if the market continues to scream higher, then I, I see no reason that eBay won't uh, also continue to perform, make new highs above 60 and, and even outperform the market. But, um, you know, one thing I think that's, that's benefited eBay in this early part of the recovery uh, post-COVID is that it's an online business. It, it's not disrupted by having people in, in stores or in, and out in the streets. Um, and this, this um, consumer spending, discretionary spending, hasn't really taken a hit quite yet. And partly that's because this pandemic hasn't hit everybody the same way. Certainly restaurant workers and a lot of people, millions of people are out of work. Uh, and it's super unfortunate. But there are also a lot of people that have been able to work seamlessly from home uh, for now. Uh, but if we get something of a double dip, uh, if the recession lasts longer, if there are continual knockoff effects, if there's a negative feedback loop, um, then I could see consumer spending taking a hit uh, more so than it has on, on much more of a lag. And at that point, are there still going to be as many people uh, shopping on eBay or sending money through Venmo? Um, I'm a little bit less confident in that. So I would kind of be like a wait and see buyer of this. I think eBay has a strong brand. Um, is very few competitors. I mean, it's been in the business for multiple decades and it's been through a lot of different cycles, uh, has not really been disrupted. So I think it's a, it's a great stock to keep uh, in your back pocket and you want to own for the long run, but I don't see right now as, as the ideal entry point. I, I, I agree. I'd like, I, I think it's a great company. I think it's had a great run over the last several months. Um, but I, I think it's starting to, to see a little bit of a drop off. Um, will it hit its new highs? I kind of disagree in a way with Charles. He really wasn't, you know, it wasn't a committal thing. I don't think it will. I think it's going to pull back a little bit more. I, I don't, I don't think it's, I don't think that now is the right, right time to jump into eBay. Is that to say that, you know, it's never a good time to get into eBay? Absolutely not. It's a great company. I think it's got a great, it's got great fundamentals. It's got great technicals. I think Adam's right. You just want to find the right time for it. Uh, second company on our list today is it's a retail company. It specializes in technology products, selling technology products. It's uh, very big in the U.S., Canada, and Mexico. 
Uh, it has a three-year annual growth rate of sales of 3.4%. Its sales for the trailing 12 months total $43.4 billion. Uh, its share price bottomed out at around $50 a share in March, but has jumped 123% since then, uh, which is pretty spectacular, all things considered. And the company that I'm referring to here is Best Buy Company Incorporated, trades on the New York Stock Exchange under BBY. And I'll first throw this to Charles. Uh, Charles, the, uh, the stock hit, uh, hit a golden cross back in uh, mid-July. Uh, it's been on fire. Uh, it's, it's really kind of weathered the storm in terms of, uh, you know, other retail outlets that have taken a pretty significant hit. So uh, give me your thoughts on, on Best Buy. You know, it's funny. Uh, if, if we had had this conversation back in April, I would have said, ooh, Best Buy is probably toast. You know, it's, you know, stores are locked down to the extent you can go in the store at all. You know, they're having to, to limit the number of people in there. They're trying to do curbside delivery, which, I mean, that's kind of weird. I, if I'm going to go buy a big TV or something, I want to look at it first and kind of poke the buttons and play with it before I, I, I don't want to just have someone take it out to my car because I, I saw it on the internet. I would have been completely wrong. <laughs> I'm the first to admit I would have had this one wrong. What's happened uh, instead is because people have been stuck indoors more, because people have not been able to do a lot of the entertainment things that they you know, would have done uh, pre-COVID, they've been buying more toys. You know, They've been buying that. I mean, if you're gonna be at home watching Netflix more, you might as well do it on a nicer TV, right? And so that's, that's part of what we've seen. So I would say, um, I, I, I would be a buyer here. The stock has a lot of momentum. Um, the, the basic story is, is, is unchanged. And we're now coming up on the most important quarter of the year for retailers, uh, you know, the, the Christmas shopping season, of course. Uh, that does bring up some interesting points. Um, there are some really big uh, potential hurdles here that, that we do have to look out for. If we do have, it looks like we're already kind of in the middle of one, but if, if the COVID cases really start spiking when the weather starts to get colder and uh, we have to kind of clamp down on, on certain activities again, or people are just scared, people are thinking, you know what, um, not going to go risk my life to go buy a TV or a whatever, uh, uh, you know. I almost said DVD player. Wow, I'm, I'm showing my age. Nobody buys DVD players anymore. Uh, a Roku box, whatever. Uh, yeah, I'm not going to go risk my life to buy a Roku box. I'll just buy it online at Amazon or you know, Best Buy does, of course, have a website. But I would say, you know, the one real big roadblock we need to look out for is just if shoppers stay away from the stores and this ends up being sort of a lackluster Christmas shopping season, then that could be a problem. Now, I don't necessarily think it will be. Because what we saw is even though unemployment uh, went through the roof, a lot of that was mitigated by the, uh, the enhanced unemployment benefits. And while that has completely trailed off at this point, do you really think uh, that <laughs> they're negotiating, the White House and Congress are negotiating for additional aid packages. Um, they're going to do everything they can to, to, to keep the money flowing into retail. So um, I would say Best Buy is a buy. I would say look out for any you know speed bumps uh, in the Christmas shopping season uh, related to COVID or anything else. I think that's something you should watch out for. I don't necessarily think that's going to be a problem, but if there is going to be a problem, that would be it. See, I think that there's a the bigger headwind is something they've already faced, and that is the shutdown due to the coronavirus. I think even if there is a lackluster Christmas shopping season, obviously that will take a hit to any retail store. But I think Best Buy can can no, no pun intended weather that 
because of how they performed over the course yeah, of the thing lockdown. about Black Friday, though, you know, Black Friday where people, you know, form but see, a Black mile Fr- long queue outside. Black the Friday door. is no longer a thing. Black Friday is right. not nearly what it used to be. Black Friday right. used to be just that. It used to be long lines of people standing outside the third, the Friday after Thanksgiving. Now stores are open. They're they're providing deals a week in advance. They're opening on Thanksgiving for some reason, just because they feel like they need to get out ahead of that. So I just think that that shopping season. I read something actually today that shopping seasons are actually for, for holidays are actually starting in the middle of October because that's when companies are, when, when retail outlets are going to start giving their big holiday sales. So really I think that, that the whole shopping season, first off now seems to be elongated and, and, and two has really lost that black Friday impact. I don't think that, I don't, I don't think uh, smart retailers are really pricing in uh, you know, a massive black Friday because I just don't think it's there anymore. Well, another issue as well is is Best Buy has invested in their online presence. So is it, even if you know people stay away from long lines, they stay away from crowded stores because they're scared or because they're required to by law. Either way, uh, the, the the website presence does help. Now, again, I still think this if if there's going to be a speed bump, I think this is it. Right. But I, I think there's enough things in place here to mitigate it. Agreed. Uh, Adam O'Dell, your your thoughts on uh, on on Best Buy. I'm actually uh, cautiously positive and, and bullish on Best Buy as well. I mean, as a company, it is quite a success story. I mean, if you think about the the whole storyline that's been happening for what upwards of a decade now, you know, the the death of retail or the death of brick and mortar stores, you certainly would have, uh, as Charles said, put Best Buy in that and, and bet against them. But uh, I mean, if you look at Best Buy stock in 2013, when all the other stocks were soaring to new highs, uh, Best Buy was trading below its 2008 2009 bottom. Um, so it's really, you know, I had a tough go at the beginning of this bull market, but it's kind of uh, really gotten its feet in the, in the latter half of the bull market. Um, and I think it just speaks to the business's ability to adapt. I mean, it's competing against Amazon, but for some reason, uh, we can speculate why, um, you know, a lot, a lot of folks are still willing to go to a store or to pick up curbside and, and flip up the tailgate and have somebody load up the TV in the back rather than getting, um, you know, these electronics delivered from Amazon. So I think that they've been able to adapt with an online presence, with uh, also offering the, um, you know, the in-store experience, and they have you know people that can come out to your home and and mount the TV on the wall or fix the network that you you've been fiddling with. So that that to some people, especially outside of the COVID environment, is is a plus that Amazon will never be able to uh, to to give people. But uh, as far as my you know, I look at stocks kind of on a long-term and short-term basis. Uh, and on a short-term basis, cycle nine. Uh, is, is currently in a trade on, on Best Buy. Again, I haven't recommended that to, to subscribers uh, in full disclosure, but as far as the signal, it's there. Still has about another month in that. Um, as far as the longer term, uh, I look at my Green Zone Fortune's six-factor stock ranking model, and it rates a 93 out of 100. So it really only gets kind of a poor uh, score on size because it's a very large company at, tw- at almost 28 billion, which is large, but not, not huge, huge. Um, but nonetheless, uh, Best Buy gets, you know, scores of like 92 on momentum, uh, in the seventies for volatility, uh, for value, it rates 85 out of hundred. So it's priced fairly well, even though it's, it's making new highs and quality and growth are in the nineties as well. So all around, I think that, you know, the business has proven itself to be able to adapt, uh, to a number of different, uh, disruptions in, in the, in this current cycle. And I think it's been able to compete with Amazon. Realize that just because you know Best Buy is smaller than Amazon, and Amazon does so many more things than Best Buy, uh, you know you don't get any points as an investor investing in the stock that does everything. You get points for investing in the stock that creates the most value for shareholders. So 
Um, you know, I think Best Buy is definitely a, a buy right now. Uh, it had something of a pullback, and then it's kind of up the past, you know, four or five days out of the past week. So um, if you are wanting to get in, I'd, I'd get in now and, um, and and put a tight stop kind of below the recent lows and, and hope that the bull market continues on. And I agree. I think I think Best Buy is a buy. Um, I, I'll tell you one thing. You know, we talk about the online adaptation things like that, and Best Buy has done a great job with that. Uh, their Geek Squad is is, a, is another addition to provide customer support. Um, but I'll tell you, I think whenever people are looking for electronics, whether that's a computer, whether that's a television, whether that's a you know whatever it happens to be, I think when you're looking about looking at electronics specifically, the first website they go to is BestBuy.com. I mean, I would venture a guess that 80% of people, that's exactly where they go. It's not, uh, you know, it's not necessarily Amazon. It's not, not necessarily that. And I think the in-store experience is great, but there's enough information out there for what you're looking to purchase to find what you're looking for and help you make that decision without having to go into the store. So even to Charles's point, if they do happen to, you know, maybe lock back down or, or, or stores are limited over the holiday season, I still think that's going to, I don't see that being a big issue for for Best Buy. I think their, their return ons are, are fantastic, especially when you compare it to the rest of the industry. Their positive return on assets, positive return on equity, and positive return on uh, investments, whereas the, the rest of the industry is in the negative in those, in those avenues. Uh, it's got a very good positive net margin. It's got a very good uh, you know, positive operating margin. Uh, it's priced right. Uh, I think it has a lot of, uh, still has a lot of upward momentum potential. Uh, and, and again, like Adam said, do his, uh, his green zone rating system, I mean, it's a 93. What that essentially means is there's only 7% of the other stocks that are rated that are actually better overall. And, and that says something, and it says something in terms of the, of the, uh, of what the stock can bring you to the table as an investor. So, uh, the, the last company we want to talk about, this is another one that everyone knows about. Uh, you know, it was even in the news during the coronavirus, uh, but, uh, it specializes. And as soon as I say what it does, everyone will probably immediately zero in on what it is. It's a company that specializes in marketing and selling specialty coffee, specialty coffee globally. Uh, it sells individual drinks through its brick and mortar stores, as well as packaged coffee, tea, uh, other various things that have to do with, with the coffee drinking experience. Uh, it's trailing 12 months of sales. We're $24 billion. It has a five-year annual sales growth rate of 10%. It hit a low of about $55 a share back in March. It's jumped 55% since then. Uh, it recently hit uh, a golden cross uh, back in September, first part of September. And uh, the uh, company I'm referring to here is Starbucks Corporation, trades on the NASDAQ, uh, under S-B-U-X. And I'll first uh, throw it to Charles. Charles, uh, aside from maybe drinking Starbucks or needing to drink Starbucks, what are your thoughts on Starbucks in general? I do like my pumpkin spice. That is one, who of, my doesn't? Guilty, I mean, that's one of my little guilty pleasures. Who could not wait for pumpkin spice? Who could not wait for pumpkin spice to come out? I mean, really. I'm, I'm always a little embarrassed ordering it because it's just, you know, but <laughs> I'm not. I, I'm I, I'm comfortable enough in myself that I have no problem ordering a All pumpkin right. spice latte or whatever. I, I'm fine I, with it. I respect that. Um, at, at any rate, so uh, I, I like Starbucks. Uh, they, you would think, in a normal recession, a company like Starbucks would do fine because even though you know you may skimp on a, a new home purchase, a new car purchase, those little frivolous luxuries kind of help you get through the hard times, right? People tend to spend more on alcohol, cigarettes, and I haven't seen hard statistics on this, but I would also assume premium coffee. It's just one of those little things that helps you get through the day, right? Uh, it, things were different this time around because a lot of people pick up that Starbucks while they're like on their way to work, right? They, they stop by Starbucks on the way to work. 
although if there is no work, if you're working from home, you may not go to Starbucks, right? Your, your routine is broken. And so they really did suffer. I mean, apart from just store cl forced closures of stores, obviously was an issue as well. And the inability of people to linger. Um, I used to just go to Starbucks and read a book for an hour. You know, it's, uh, it wasn't even about the coffee. It was just getting out of the house, right? Uh, all of that was dead. And, and even though it's, it's coming back, um, it's, it's not back yet. Now that said, as life does get back to normal, uh, people will reassert their old habits. When they go to their place of work, they will go get that Starbucks on their way. And I feel like if Starbucks was able to, you know, hack its way through what's been a very difficult six months, they're fine. I, th I think from this point on, um, it, it gets better for them. Uh, their international expansion may kind of hit the skids for a bit. Um, I know, you know, th their biggest market out, their biggest growth market was was China. Um, I don't know. Uh, it, it remains to be seen what that's going to look like going forward, um, particularly if U.S. Tensions with China, if that doesn't diffuse anytime soon, um, who knows? You know, that, that Chinese consumer um, may have as negative um, an opinion of American brands as, you know, say the typical American voter might have for the Chinese government. I, I, it, it's, it, these things take time to develop. We don't really know. So that, that could be an issue sort of, that could sort of be a headwind for the next several years. We'll see. But I would say on balance, Starbucks was great. Uh, I would be a buyer here. Okay, interesting, interesting take. I like that. Uh, Adam, what are your what are your thoughts on on Starbucks? Yeah, I'm not so hot on Starbucks. Uh, pardon the pun, but um, you know, as a brand, it's hard to argue against Starbucks. They're obviously a well recognized brand, and there's a lot of value in that. And I realize they're more than just a brick and mortar uh, location. They've got you know K cups or whatnot, but. Um, for me, Starbucks is, is definitely getting disrupted by the coronavirus. Um, and, you know, I know a lot of people are like thinking like, oh, this is short term. Let's look past this. But I think that consumers and, and particularly businesses are going to be making something of a shift. That doesn't mean everybody's going to be working from home forever. Uh, but I think some businesses are going to re, um, reassess and, and look at, again, how they uh, you know, lease office space and, and where they have their employees. And, and Charles pointed out my point exactly is that it's not just people that are going from their home straight to Starbucks. It's people that are going from one meeting to another or, um, you know, getting out of their office for a little bit to go to Starbucks. And a lot of that foot traffic is going to decline, I think, permanently uh, to some smaller degree. Um, so I just don't see, you know, I don't think, you know, buying Starbucks is going to hurt you, but I don't think you're necessarily going to outperform the market. Um, as far as my six-factor ranking model, it ranks fair, fairly poorly at a 22 out of 100. Uh, some of that, I believe, is even though my factors do look at longer-term averages, like three, five, and 10-year rates um, in some cases, uh, I do think that you know Starbucks, more so than eBay and, and Best Buy, uh, took much more of a, a sharp hit in earnings and, and uh, revenue growth uh, in the past two quarters. So I think that you know, I do expect that score to bounce back from 20, you know, at least up to 50 or 60 over the next several quarters. But um, for now, it's just kind of a wait and see. I don't think there's any real uh, impetus or catalyst to, to have to be in Starbucks at the moment. Yeah, I look at, 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 you know, if you look at the business model and how Starbucks makes its money, obviously brick and mortar is kind of its, uh, you know, th that, that's its focal point. And, and brick and mortar has taken a hit. And I think that hit is going to continue. Now, does that mean Starbucks is bad or its products are bad? Well, no, obviously not. I mean, because you're still going to go out and buy, as Adam said, you know, Starbucks K-Cups or, or a Starbucks mug or, or, or some of its ground coffee or whatever. And that's fine. But that's not really enough to, to, uh, 
uh, really suggests that Starbucks is going to start really upswinging and, and, and provide uh, a, a good amount of profit for an investor at this point in time. Uh, I'm concerned about its valuation. Its, its, its PDE ratio is around 79. Uh, the industry average is 41. I mean, that, that to me is, uh, I question that. It's, uh, I, you know, I think it's a little high in price to sales, very high in price to cash flow. Um, so I think there's a, a serious valuation issue with Starbucks right now uh, that I think the market is going to realize. Uh, so yeah, I, I, Starbucks is a good company to get to, to, to you know to get your coffee from. I just don't think right now is the time to invest in it. So um, that that that's my thought. Um, so to the kind of over, overview it here as we look at Starbucks, um, Charles is a yes on this. He, he sees uh, he sees some good potential. Uh, I, I may be biased by my pumpkin spice. Uh, and, yeah. and that would be understandable. But when we you read about you know, investor biases, you know, you talk about the recency bias, right, uh, the availability sure. heuristic. Yeah. The pumpkin spice heuristic is also a well-documented uh, aspect of behavioral finance. And if you're interested, uh, Charles and I actually did a podcast earlier this week on emotional investing. So uh, to, to, to kind of tail off how his pumpkin spice affects his, uh, his, his thoughts on Starbucks, maybe that would be worth, uh, worth a listen. Uh, Adam and I are both passes on Starbucks right now. Uh, Best Buy, uh, I think I think we're all pretty solid uh, to to buy into Best Buy right now. It's got uh, it's it's fundamentally sound. It's technically sound. Uh, and, and as we head into the Christmas season, if there is headwinds in terms of maybe lower foot traffic, I, I don't think any of us really see that as being a major inhibitor uh, to Best Buy sales heading into its fourth quarter. Uh, as for our, the first stock we talked about, eBay. Uh, I, I'm not so much on it. I think Adam's not so much on it. Charles was kind of, I, I almost think it was kind of nose all the way around. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I was not a buyer. Uh, so I, you know, so th there you have it. If we look at the consumer discretionary, uh, sector and three of its, of its larger, of its larger stocks, all these, all three of these, in all fairness, they do have, I believe three to 4% weight within X, uh, within the, uh, the ETF. Uh, that we talked about before, uh, XLY uh, for disc uh, discretionary uh, sector. Um, so just just to toss that in there. But uh, that, that's that's our look at uh, the consumer discretionary sector three stocks. Uh, just a reminder that if you uh, do want to listen to the Bull and the Bear, you've got a couple options. You can listen to us by the traditional podcast route. We're on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, uh, Spotify. We're also now on Amazon. So if you have a connected speaker or device, just say listen to the Bull and the Bear, and there you have it. You can you can pull us up. I actually tried it, and it does work. So. Uh, I thought that was that was pretty neat. So make sure that you uh, follow uh, our podcast, listen to us that way. And if there's an option to be reminded when a new podcast comes out, click that so you know uh, whenever we upload one. That way you can get those first. Like we also put these on video. So if you want to see our, see our bright shining faces and how we look uh, look in person, you can do that as well. Just head over to youtube.com and do a search for money and markets and we'll, have the, we'll be the one with the green logo. Uh, you'll find the Bull and the Bear podcast, the marijuana market update that we do each and every week and our week ahead. Uh, all those videos are there plus all the other videos that we, uh, we put out. Make sure that you subscribe to our YouTube channel. Uh, just click the, the subscribe button down at the bottom. And then you'll have a little bell notification, a uh, little notification bell that comes up. You click that, that'll make sure that you get notified each and every time that we put out a new video, which is good because we put out videos first before we put them out on moneymarkets.com. If you have a comment or question, maybe a concern or a stock or a sector you'd like us to look at, email us at thebullandthebear at moneyandmarkets.com. That's thebullandthebear at moneymarkets.com. All spelled out, all one word. 
Uh, we'll, we'll try to put it in the video somewhere and it'll be in the show notes as well. Uh, and uh, make sure you're checking Money Markets each and every day as uh, Adam, Charles, myself, we uh, try to write and give you uh, sound uh, investment information so that you can make the best possible decisions uh, with your money. So for Charles Sizemore, contributor of Money Markets and Money Markets Chief Investment Strategist, Adam O'Dell, I am Money Markets uh, Research Analyst, Matt Clark. And until next time, everyone, safe trading. You've been listening to The Bull and the Bear, a Money and Markets podcast. Tune in each week to hear insights on how to make investing safe and profitable for you.